Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way, I want to jump over the pack and here he comes! Whatever time of day you're tuning into this, this is episode number 114 of Americans Watching the Footy. I'm Ethan Castle, coming to you once again from New York. I am Benjamin Castle in South San Francisco, California, with Brian Harambe, the footy cat, once again occupying the teddy bear blanket on my bed. Ethan, you're in Manhattan specifically? Yes. Oh, right in the heart of things, huh? Pretty much, yeah. Like, uh... 10, 15 minute walk from Times Square. Probably more like 10. There was probably a decent amount of uh, noise from cars passing by your hotel the last time we recorded. Yeah. This time, though, I moved to a room that has much less noise because it doesn't face out to the street. And also, it's kind of in the middle of the night here. So, should be a much less background noisy recording. All right. Well, don't want to waste any time here because. We're done with the bye rounds. We're back to a full nine-game slate. And, I mean, I want this Thursday nighter to be juicy. And I think it can be considering how these teams fared in their contests last year. But they are a bit further apart in form than I expected at this time this year. We got Brisbane and Richmond opening round 16 at the GABA. 7.20 p.m. local time for the bounce. So, 5.20 a.m. for you, Ethan, on the East Coast, as well as a number of our friends, including Craig Wessels from A Yank All the Footy, 2.20 a.m. Pacific on Fox Soccer Plus and Watch AFL. Lions enter at 10 and 4. They're in third, coming off win against St. Kilda. The Tigers also beat St. Kilda their last time out, but that was before the bye. They are 6, 7, and 1. So far this year, the only two teams that have won coming off of a bye were facing other teams that just had a bye. I think there are a couple games where that will shift this week, but I don't think this is one of them. Between that and this game being at the Gabba, that's probably what's going to stop Richmond. Otherwise, I like the Tigers' chances here. This is a game where home field advantage has really mattered. The home team has won the last six meetings and nine out of the last ten. Admittedly, that does include a game in 2020 where Richmond was the designated home team on the Gold Coast, but... The point stands. The Lions are very tough to beat at the Gabba, and they've historically had a hard time at the G. You look at what happened in round 20 last year where they let one slip away late at the G. They led by 42 in the middle of the second quarter, and then Richmond came back to win by seven. I love that it was by seven because that allowed the crazy, you know, games within a goal stat to continue for them. Yeah, a few weeks ago, while the streak was still going, I had referenced, like, you know, what if Richmond just, like, let a team kick a bunch of goals late so that they can say, hey, we won one by by six. You know, it's like you got a 30-point lead late, and you just kind of, like, here, go kick a bunch of goals. Yeah, but that game in round 20 last year, that wasn't possible because they led by one until, I guess, Darcy Gardner played on and Noah Cumberland forced a turnover. Cumberland had kicked five goals straight. And Tom Lynch kicked four goals, one, including the game sealer. Neither of them are going to be playing this week, though. Yeah, it was nice at the time, you know, for Cumberland to have his redemption. Lynch obviously still hurt. The second meeting last year was the one that I think will be remembered much longer, considering that it was a final. A two-point win for the Lions. Another Thursday nighter. That was the first final played last year. Zach Bailey had a set shot from... Just outside his range, got to the goal square. Five Richmond players were there. Joe Danaher grabbed it. I'm still left so bewildered by how that game turned out. And I think whoever was in charge of the music at the Gabba was as well, because they started playing We're From Time. One of the more underrated moments of the entire season, really. 
Um, last week, actually, at um, at Yankee Stadium, after the second out of the ninth inning, you heard the first like, second of New York, New York by mistake. But that wasn't like they were playing the wrong song. They were just an out early. All starting. Yeah. I was So I was mentioning that Cumberland and Lynch won't be playing. Obviously, Lynch is still a long way back. Maybe he'll be able to get back the last couple rounds. Cumberland is available at this point, recovering from his soleus muscle injury. It's a pretty significant muscle near the calf, but it's going to be Jacob Hopper returning from his own soleus injury. He was subbed off in round nine, and that's a really important in because he's got to replace Dion Prestia. Yeah, Prestia's got a calf injury, we've learned. Prestia, a guy that, you know, I think people have really associated with this great run of Richmond football because he does so many little things right. And a good game from Hawker here would kind of help signify passing the torch along from from kind of that past core to the, you know, Taranto and Hopper group. Obviously, Tim Taranto's been phenomenal this year. And Prestia's still got some time left in him. He's 30. The it other big... Just be, it would kind of signify a transition... Like I've said, one of the things that this Richmond team has done the last few years is yeah, they transitioned pretty well between generations of sort. And this is definitely a transitory year between those ex-Giants coming in, Andrew McWalter taking the reins, etc. The other end this week for Richmond, Marlon Pickett. He's replacing Boris Rioli Jr. We expected that would be the change there. Pickett was made to take some time off following his court matter. That does not remain resolved, but he's been cleared to play. So we'll see how all of the uh, administrative stuff goes from there. And we'll see if the Brisbane fans do any to say anything about it. I have a feeling it could get kind of nasty. I mean, hopefully there's, you know, no sort of criticism of him based off of anything other than you committed crimes. Because, like, that's kind of, you know, kind of put yourself out there for that. On the Lions side, Dane Zorko is missing a fourth straight game. He is fit, but not being risked, apparently. Still recovering from that calf injury. This seems like the sort of type of situation Geelong were in last year where it's like, hey, we're in a good spot. We don't need to rush, guys. Uh, Jack Gunston and Daniel Rich apparently are doing well in their extended training program and can play again in the next few weeks. I went back and watched some of the game a few weeks ago against Hawthorne, and just the way Gunston played that game was like, he clearly wasn't right. So I think this is going to be a success for him. And the team's done just fine without him. In fact, I think it might be tough for him to find his way back in immediately with how good they've looked. And then Darcy Fort was the sub last week. Couldn't be the sub again this week. Lions could choose to match up Richmond's talls that way. Well, he's not in the 22 because it's Kalabachi in for Kai Loman. Ford is listed as an emergency. That could be a late change they make again. That is appropriating Chris Scott culture. What, having a tall as a sub? No, just making a late change. It's more that they've had Ford being the sub already. I wouldn't mind Loman being the sub, though, if they, considering that you might need some fresh legs to match up with some extra pressure against Richwood late if it does remain close. The odds makers don't seem to think it's going to be that close. Lions favored by 18 and a half. I think that's fair. I'd maybe push it out a couple more points. The line seems pretty reasonable to me. It is at the GABA. The Lions are in excellent form. I doubt that they'll be able to play this one as much in the forward half as they did this past week in Spud's game. going to be tougher for them to win the midfield contest to enable them to do that. The matchup between Toby Curris and Oscar McInerney should be outstanding as well. And Hits to advantage are going to be really important. I think Richmond's defenders will be able to handle some of that pressure that Brisbane likes to put on, but I think Nick Flawstone is the Lions outclass them. Nick Flawstone has been sensational as of late. He's a player that, if he keeps this up, I'd consider him for placement in the 44-man squad in terms of the All-Australian team. Nathan Broadsman, strong one-on-one. The question is more one of size and how some of them are going to be able to handle the big matchups of Joe Danaher and Eric Kiplin. If one of them doesn't get you, the other will, as we said in the round 15 recap. Hiplin's up to 10 goals in his last three games. He also, in that loss to the Tigers last year, kicked 4-3 that day. But I, I really like how he's played lately. You know, it's cool to have him healthy and up to speed. You know, not just physically there, but 
kind of mentally in tune as well. As I mentioned last time as well, he's already up to a career high for assists as well. So he's involved in more ways that I think people might give him credit for. Friday night footy at the SCG with its lovely camera angle. Sydney hosting Geelong. This one gets underway at 7.50 p.m. local time, 5.50 a.m. on the East Coast. I will be watching this one from Long Island. It'll be 2.50 a.m. on the West Coast for you, Brian Harambe, and anyone else. It'll be a Fox Sports 2 game. Yeah, um, for all the funny fans on the West Coast, including our friend Rick Shabani with the L.A. Dragons. Well, let's see if he's up for this one. He's a Giants fan, so maybe he'll want to see the Swans get drubbed like they did in round six, though I doubt it's going to be anything that severe. Plus, you know, home ground advantage is pretty significant here. You go from playing on a very narrow ground at Cardinia to a very circular one like this. It definitely affects the game. Wings will be a lot more open, so that could allow for Max Holmes to thrive, maybe. I mean, he's also had to play some in the middle, just with how thin the midfield has been, so I don't know if he'll even get out there. Well, uh, if Patrick Dangerfield is good to go like it says he is, yeah, that would help with that. He'd be afforded some time. That would help with that. I think a lot of it also hinges on like how well Tanner Bruin's playing. If Bruin plays well in the middle of the ground, then Holmes can go to the outside more. Bruin had his best four-quarter effort this past week, and I still think he should have gotten some love in the coaches' votes, but he did not. Swans enter at 6-8 and eight in 14th. They helped their percentage a whole lot against the Eagles because, of course, they did. The Cats are at 7-7th. Seven They're in ninth out of the eight right now in percentage after their Thursday night win over the Demons. These teams bet back in round six a game. The Cats won by 93. Here's a great little fact for you. Between the grand final and their first meeting this year, the Cats have beaten the Swans by a combined 174 points. Three more than the Swans beat the Eagles by this past week. I think 174, though, is what the Eagles surrendered three weeks ago against the Adelaide Crows. Numerology. Moons, I hope you're proud of us. Not as good as the Anzac round numerology, though. That that was fucking amazing. Or anything with the number 119 in Port Adelaide. That's the percentage coming into this round, right? Is it? Yeah, 119.3. Ah, 0.3. Damn. If it was exactly 119, that would be even better. Yeah, but Port don't play on Friday. The Swans could have some key-ins for Friday night. Buddy Franklin could return from his knee injury. He's missed a few weeks, not like it's particularly hurt the Swans the past couple. And then Tom McCartan had a very good return in the VFL. He hasn't played for multiple months now since suffering a concussion and having lingering effects kind of akin to his brother, Patty. So he would be a huge in because that gives you a guy to really match up with Tom Hawkins. I mean, not like it helped in the grand final. No, but Hawkins also in the grand final, if you recall, got to beat up on Tom Hickey in some, you know, after some forward stoppage. Yeah, I believe he got the first two goals just winning off the ruck. Yes. Meanwhile, the Swans' first goal scorer in the grand final, Will Hayward, could return after being a laid out last week with illness. My bigger question, though, is around the status of Callum Mills. He came back from his calf injury last week. He was subbed off at three-quarter time for Robbie Fox. Is he fit enough at this point to play a full game? And I feel terrible that Robbie Fox isn't in the 22. I thought that he belongs there, but it's very tough for them to fit him in, especially if Mills and McCartan are both good to go. It's amazing with all the injuries they've had that all of a sudden they're back to not having enough spots for everybody. Well, particularly in defense because Rampy's healthy, Lewis Bellican has made his case to stay. Up forward, he did have Heaney and McDonald return this past week as well. I mean, it makes it very hard for guys like Jack Bowler to make a return despite kicking three goals in the VFL last week. I think Angus Sheldrick has also made a really compelling case to maintain his spot, which changes things, grabs the list even further. Their post-buddy future in terms of goal scoring looks pretty bright, and Abardi's been locked up for a decent amount, so I'm not particularly worried about that. Oh, I don't think we've been concerned about that at all. I think most of our concerns with the Swans are much more short-term in terms of things like, you know, is the hole they've found themselves in too deep to dig out of at this point? I think they're going to play this game really inspired. Best case scenario, 
there's just a mental block that they can't overcome the moment they see anyone wearing hoops. I don't think that happens this time. I think this is going to be a really tough game to win. And not just because Jeremy Cameron's out concussed, even though you know he's okay to do farm stuff. But I get it, you know, with the possible lingering effects of concussions and things that maybe aren't just outwardly visible or noticeable. It's something you can't chance as much as I would love to have him out there. I mean, also just 12 days. Yeah. Even though I don't think that's necessarily going to be the timeline you really need for all head injuries, but it seems like a decent bet at least. Because, I mean, if you saw the Instagram video the other day, he looks ready to go. But I, I'm not, don't don't think I'm questioning concussion protocol or anything. Uh, Patrick Dangerfield should be back two weeks removed from cracking a rib and partially collapsing one of his lungs, which is just the most ridiculous statement. I mean, this also sounds ripe for a Chris, a really underwhelming Chris Scott late change. You mean to bring him in or to take him out? Uh, considering that the idea was if last week's game had been Sunday instead of Thursday, you could have played. I I feel very good about him being in. I'm just incredulous at the thought of that being a one week out. Amazing. Asaba Radagalea, by the way, could be back from that hamstring injury he suffered in round 11. It would be really nice to have the full group of Stewart, DeConing, Radagalea, Henry all there. I mean, the defense played really well last week, and if you throw Asaba into that as well, I think you could be getting back to recreating the Great Wall of Geelong that led us to glory last year. I know you haven't been super keen on Jed Buse and Jake Kolejasny's play as of late. Which one of them do you think might make way for Radicale? Would it be Buse because he plays further back? I think so. Although, maybe you keep him in because you need smaller guys to match up with the likes of Tom Papley. I'm trying to figure out how you make this work. Cats are favored by one and a half. I know you're going to tip the swans because of how you operate. Yeah, I just, I get the feeling this could be one of those games, you know, kind of like it was for Melbourne last week, where at some point Melbourne probably just looked at each other and said like, yeah, we were not meant to win this game. I think this can be like that. I also wouldn't be surprised if it's a really close game with a late punch in the dick or something. I'd love to blow them out again, but I don't think that's super likely. I do know that winning this one, I'd be I'd be pretty amped. It would be like probably about 8.45 in the morning where I'm going to be, and I would be pretty fired up and ready to go celebrate. Yeah, it's going to be some nice uh, sunrise footy for you. Imagine if we just have like that Bastille Pompeii moment for a second time where it almost feels like nothing changed at all again. Oh, that would be awesome, but I'm not counting on it. No, I'm not either. By the way, I found out why the band's name is Bastille. It's because the front man was born on your birthday, which is also Bastille Day. Oh, cool. Heard that from a Jeopardy clue recently. Interesting. All right, on to Saturday, a game that might be less interesting than that Jeopardy clue. Adelaide hosting North Melbourne at the Adelaide Oval. Only meeting between these two this year after they doubled up last year. This one gets underway at 1.15 p.m. local time on July 1st, 1.45 p.m. in Victoria. It'll be 11.45 p.m. on the East Coast where I am and 8.45 p.m. on the West Coast. And it's a Fox Soccer Plus game. Pros are 7-7 seven seven in 8th after losing to Collingwood. I have many feelings about that game still. North have now lost 12 straight after opening the year with two close wins in a row. They had their bye last week after playing the dogs tough, but just being outmatched when it mattered. And yeah, they did double up last year. The Crows won both of those meetings. The Crows have won the last four meetings head-to-head. It's funny. When when we first started watching Thuddy, the Crows were just garbage. And since then, you look at the steady rise they've been on. Whereas they've been, I mean, you look at... Staying at the bottom? Yeah, and I'm still like, if you had told me at the start of this year that Alistair Clarkson was going to take a leave, we still haven't heard anything about that, have we? Like, any possibility of him coming back anytime soon? No, we have not. Uh, to be continued. If you had told me that that was going to happen and that they were going to go on a 12-game losing streak, there was no way I would have been this satisfied with some of what I've seen. My issue is still, they just don't have 
a lot of stoppers defensively. And I think Taylor Walker could extend his Coleman lead this week. Well, you look at what Walker and Fogarty did, both meetings against the Kangaroos last year. Adelaide won by 57 out at Blundstone Arena in round 15 and by 29 in the Adelaide Oval in round 22. Across those two games, Walker kicked nine goals, two, and Fogarty, eight goals, two. Also, um, North are going against history here. They are 0-10 at the Adelaide Oval. They probably did fare better there than when they played. I'm liking what the place was called. It wasn't Norwood. It was the other one. Mount Barker. That's what it was, yes. Because their percentage for that game was like somewhere around 50. Yeah, that was a pretty unsightly game at the Summit Sports Park for for them, at least. The Lions rolled. Well, the first quarter North actually played pretty well. Just like I said, the thing with this North team, I really do like their midfield. I really believe in the young guys. She's a little more law, but there's a lot lacking defensively, whether that's guys who can defend small forwards, guys who can defend tall forwards, guys who can just lay a bunch of tackles inside 50, and... That's why this game is probably not going to be close. Well, you're going to like North's midfield more this week because Luke Davies-Zudiak will return. Hasn't been in since entering his hamstring in round nine. I'm hoping that defensively they'll look better because Josh Goder is available. He injured his knee back in round three, and I think that's an underrated part of their decline is that he had been doing well supporting Ben Mackay, maybe even playing above Griffin Logue a bit and being able to take on some taller targets. I still doubt their ability against smaller forwards, so you can see Isaac Rankin exploding in this game. You can see Luke Pedlar just ramming through everybody. Uh, you can see Josh Rochelle doing some big stuff. It's It's been a minute since he's had like a dominant game. You know, hasn't been a game that he's really taken over in a while. Yeah, and he kicked no goals three this past week. And, I mean, he could have gotten that last shot because Dawson was bleeding after the high contact that wasn't called. There are multiple parallel universes where that happened. Adelaide's defense will probably be taking a hit this week. Nick Murray is considered doubtful after getting subbed out at half last week with a hamstring injury. I think he's been their most valuable defender this year. More consistent than Jordan Butts, and especially now that Tom Duday has been out, Murray has been in the spotlight more. It'll be a bit more of a task for Josh Worrell then. I imagine Butts will get the matchup against Larky. Some young options to replace Murray if they do opt to go tall. James Borlase has yet to make a debut. He's an academy product. His dad played in the Sandful for Port, was a premiership captain for them. I'd like to see Mark Keane debut for the Crows. Had played three years for Collingwood from County Cork. Ned McHenry was awesome in the sub role last week. There's a chance he's doomed to stay in that role. He could also work his way into the 22. Provided so much in terms of more speed from them, more run, was able to match John Noble's pressure for a lot of the second half, and was a big part of why Adelaide was so efficient in scoring for back half intercepts. I believe they kicked five goals straight from eight back half intercepts in the third quarter, which was outstanding, especially considering that was against Collingwood. If you could do that against the Pies, you could do that against pretty much everybody. And I can understand then why the Crows are nearly seven goal favorites. Currently 41 and a half on Bobata as we record. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Walker goes out and kicks another five or six. Or ten. I don't know about ten. I mean, he's facing an actual team. We're a team. Hey, the West Coast Eagles are a team. They're a team of pylons at times, but they're a team. The overlap situation for this week is slightly different. Yeah, you've got the two early Saturday games overlapping instead of the two late Saturday games. So while I'm watching Crows and Hangos, you'll be focusing on Dogs and Dockers. And it's going to be at the exact same time. Yeah, so I guess that uh, that middle game, which does have some juice to it, will have the spotlight all to itself. But before that, the Western Bulldogs at Frio at Marvel Stadium, 1.45 p.m. local in Victoria, 11.45 a.m. for Western audiences. For Americans, 11.45 p.m. Eastern, 8.45 p.m. Pacific on Friday night. This will be the Fox Sports 2 broadcast for that window. Uh, Yeah, they chose the better matchup. They haven't always done that, so 
That's nice to see. The dogs under at eight and six. They're in seventh, but they're coming off the bye. Frio seven and seven. They're in 11, coming off a really solid win over Essendon. Frio also beat the dogs at Marvel Stadium last year. And I remember last year, one of the most impressive things about the Dockers last year was how strong they were playing in Victoria. Obviously, they beat the D's again there this year at the G. And another big Victorian win like this would make me feel a lot better about their potential on the run home. I think it'll also be good that they got out the nerves of playing Rory Lobb for the first time back in round six. They lost their shit on Anzac Friday. To put it kindly, they acted like little bitches, and it distracted them from actually playing the game. A 49-point win for the Dogs, and Lob wasn't even that great. He only kicked one three. It was Bailey Williams who impressed us the most in terms of goal kicking. It was his first ever three-goal game. Lob did more than enough just by being a distraction. It, it opened up things for not just Williams, but pretty much everybody else on that team. What concerns me about the Bulldogs for this game, though, is not that Frio has played Lob before. It's more that their defense has gotten thinner. And while we've talked about a lot of interchangeable parts and unremarkable parts, Liam Jones being out with a broken radius in two places is not great. He'd been playing really deep, but had been neutralizing goal square targets reasonably well. Jones and Tim O'Brien both got hurt in the first half two weeks ago. Both of them and Hayden Crozier are all out for the long term. As I've said, O'Brien hasn't been great. I mean, he and Alex Keith are kind of part of that interchangeable meth. Although, I think I'd rather have Keith more often. I would say so as well. And he'll obviously have to step up this week. I imagine Josh Bruce will get the recall, as well as Ryan Tika Vasala Gardner. Although, you could get James O'Donnell in there. I think he could be more available in a halfback role. I want to see what Caleb Poulter could do, though. Can make his Bulldogs debut, having been elevated from the rookie list to the midseason draft. Yeah, I'd be all in favor of that. I think fresh faces instead of what I refer to as the interchangeable math is the way to go. Also, I think Poulter will be better at providing some pace, maybe trying to counter the Dockers that way. Frio really dictated the pace in that win over Essendon last week. And what surprised me about that is they were able to do that without James H. Michael Frederick carried a lot of that pace through. The forward half of it was Liam Henry in the back. Henry has been in a lot of trade talks this year. Multiple Victorian teams looking at him. I know he's got a really strong connection with Kazi Pickett. So Melbourne are in the mix. It will be tough for him to fit in there. So whether he wants to stay or go will be something to watch over these next couple months for I really hope that he stays in that role because it seems to be where he's finally found a level of comfort and where he's actually really helped the team. Uh, you mentioned James H. He should be back this week. Uh, Matthew Johnson had some sort of cork. I'm not sure where specifically, but he had played really well last week. Should be in anyway. And so should Alex Pierce, who was subbed off last week. Was more management for him. He'd been dealing with some soreness in his lower leg. They had gotten themselves to a good enough margin at that point that they were able to make that move. I think Johnson's going to be playing more inside with Aish coming back in as well. But I've liked where he's played just anywhere in terms of laterally. And he's a good long kick too. Kicked his second career goal from outside 50 last Saturday. That could pave the way for Neil Erasmus to move back into the substitute role. Why are the Bulldogs 12 and a half point favorites, Ethan? I guess because of the first meeting. That's the only explanation I can give you. The midfields could definitely match up. Fontapelli and Libertore versus Sarong and Brayshaw will be fantastic for contest control. Maybe not fantastic for fantasy purposes for me because I've got Libba and Brayshaw. I'm not naming either of them captain, though. I've I've also got Tim Taranto. I'm going to tip for you on this one, though. I am, too. If Josh Bruce is back in, I can see Jai Amos really punishing that matchup. I can see him succeeding against any of these Bulldogs it's pretty obvious how highly we rate him, and we're not alone in that regard. We're going to take a quick break and then come back with the final five games of the round. A reminder, as always, you can find us both on Twitter and on YouTube at Americans Footy. I'm definitely going to make that road home video probably after 
this coming round, just kind of that two-thirds point of the home and away calendar. So watch for that on YouTube, our first real longer form video there. Personally, I am on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. I am on Twitter at Castle Media, and Brian Harambe is on Instagram at CatNameBrian. He's currently just looking at me as we pick up here with the middle game on Saturday, that being the Gold Coast Suns hosting Collingwood at Heritage Bank Stadium. This was a really fun matchup. Both times last year, honestly, I mean, especially their meeting on the Gold Coast in last year's Round 16. Yeah, that game, Collingwood won by five, kicked the final three goals after trailing by 13. It was very typical Collingwood. Really, I put the writing on the wall for where the Suns season was. Close, but not quite there. Will Hoskin Elliott kicked that last goal, and then it was a defensive stand from there. Ruined the debut party for Hawago Oya, who did score a goal in his first game. I hope his family enjoyed their time last week because it was a blast seeing them just be involved. Hopefully they're still there. Hopefully it wasn't just a one-game appearance. They also played last year at round seven. That was the Suns' only trip to the G in 2022. And, you know, they comported themselves well enough. They only lost by 25. Levi Casbolt kicked 4-4 in that game. He has never kicked five goals in the AFL. Is that just God's plan for him? Get to four goals so many times, never get to five. This game gets underway at 11.35 p.m. Pacific time on Friday night, 2.35 a.m. Eastern time on Saturday, 4.35 p.m. locally in Queensland, and 12.35 a.m. just barely into Saturday in Honduras. Honduras is on mountain time? Uh, during the summer, since good to know. And this is another Fox Sports 2 game? Oh. I want more people to watch the Gold Coast Suns, so I'm all up for that. I remember last year, it was, you know, actually a lot of college fans, but it was a really good atmosphere. That's something where Metro College, or now Heritage Bank, stadium is still kind of lacking. You know, Q-Clash crowds have been especially underwhelming. You know, but I think it was like, Suns home game atmosphere, I just think of the MC slash PA announcer trying to tell people to make noise after a goal. Not much reason for the Suns to make changes after the beatdown they put on Hawthorne last week. They're at 7-7 seven and seven in 10th place following that percentage boost. We'll note, though, that they had a number of good goal kickers in the VFL. Hawthorne led the way with five. He was their supplemental selection and he has yet to make his debut, so maybe there's something in the works for him. It's been really tough to see Bobby Archholder, leading goal kicker last year, not get in, but he just hasn't found a way, I guess, with Jared Witz's dominance, making it a bit more difficult as well as the other goal kicking that they've been able to find. I think it has much more to do with the other forwards. I'm really surprised that he hasn't found his way back in, but... I think that's largely a testament to the Preston team, although I think him getting omitted in the first place when it initially happened probably showed that we hold a higher view of him than the club does, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's playing for someone else soon. He's got two more years on his contract, so we'll see out that. I don't think the Suns have much leverage right now. They probably wouldn't be able to get a lot trading for him. We trade away their first-round pick with him. Probably not. I don't think that's going to happen again. I mean... Still really fucking funny that was necessary. Yeah, but the, the difference here is, you know, I will say Jack Bowes has obviously improved a lot this year, but it's not like he was the main centerpiece. It was more to get rid of his salary. Whereas I think there are going to be a lot of clubs that look at Maviar and say, yeah, we could do something with this. Injury report for Collingwood. Um, no real casualties last week. Ash Johnson was just subbed off as a normal sub, basically. Uh, Billy Frampton made a pretty good case to be back in after being omitted. Not that he played anywhere. He didn't play AFL. He didn't play VFL. But you look at how much they struggled against the Adelaide Tulls, and that kind of makes the argument for it right there. You had to have him in against Ben King, Levi Casbolt, Witz venturing forward at times and being a good mark. There's a clear case there. Additionally, we still don't know the update on Dan McStay and his finger. Um, do you remember an injury a few years ago when Colorado Rockies, I think he was still playing for the Rockies, outfielder Carlos Gonzalez 
had stuff taken out of his finger. This was a while ago. This was back in 2014. It just it was like like some benign tumor, I think. Yes, but the way it was described, a fatty mass with tentacles. That's as good as the uh, the phrase visibly damp Papa John. Fatty mass with tentacles. Is this in baseball or is this something out of Japan? It can be both. I mean, what can you let's know? I mean, baseball's popular in Japan. Yeah, Shohei Otani had one of his crazy games again tonight. Bo McCreary was the sub last week, which I didn't understand. I think he's got to be in the meeting 22. Is it then, you know, Johnson for McCreary, or if they opt to go a little smaller in the forward group, I would, as much as I like Harvey Harrison, I would say McCreary for Harrison is the move for now. Yeah, I and I think you probably have to just mix and match with some other pieces, because I would consider taking out both Johnson and Harrison to make sure that you get Frampton in there as well. And then, you know, you can have Taylor Adams play more forward. I think there are enough guys that can slide around to make up for not having as many of your regular forwards. Well, it also depends on Tom Mitchell's health, because I just saw that he didn't complete training. So maybe he's at risk, and maybe that could open up Adams to play a more directly on-ball role, while also enabling for the other changes to be made more easily. So things are still in flux with Collingwood, despite the fact that they're at the top of the ladder. Seven and a half points is a pretty narrow line for this head-to-head matchup. Collingwood have won eight of nine meetings since 2015, and, you know, you don't usually think of these teams as playing in important games, but this is important once again for the Suns, and I hope they can play up to the occasion. I would put this line out at least another goal, even though I wouldn't be surprised if this was a similar game to like the Suns had against the D's, or it's like, yeah, it played really well. It just drove basically a team that's too good. On to late Saturday, Essendon and Port Adelaide played a pretty inaccurate game in round eight. Well, Essendon kicked accurately for three quarters, then they kicked two six in the last and missed a lot of chances to take the lead back. They ended up losing that game by five when they had multiple of the last couple shots of the game. Port have won six straight head-to-head meetings. This is the game that normally you'd expect to be played at Marvel, but I guess with the game at Marvel earlier in the day, this one gets to be at the G. I like it. I like Port getting more opportunities at the G. This will be a 7.25 p.m. bounce at the G, so 6.55 p.m. for South Australian viewers. For American audiences, 5.25 a.m. Eastern, 2.25 a.m. Pacific on Fox Soccer Plus and the Watch AFL app and the website, of course. Essendon are at 8-6. They're at 6th after that loss to Frio. And Sam Draper will not be able to return this week. His hip injury will keep him out once again. So what's the deal in terms of rucks against Port Adelaide? It's an interesting question for this matchup in particular. Nick Bryan only played 34% of the game in round 15, and he was subbed off for Jai Menzi. Does he stay in, or do you just have Andrew Phillips be the guy and otherwise have Sam Wiedemann and Peter Wright pitch hit in the ruck? Might be a nice way to get Wiedemann involved, considering he's been goalless in the last four games. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Wiedemann got omitted this week, too. Uh, Brad Scott's backed him in, so we'll see about that. I would say get Patrick Voss in for his debut with how much he's been pushing things in the VFL. Maybe this is the week. I feel like it's probably still another week or two off, but Elijah Sadas seems to be performing pretty well at that level. Excuse me, that's Varna? Yes. For those of you that aren't familiar, we wanted a nickname based off of Sawdust, and I thought of Husqvarna, the tool company. Hence, Varna. It's another one of those tangential Australian nicknames, like how the term Falcon came about. The bigger concern for me for Essendon in this game, though, is how they can match up against the taller side of Port's list, especially if Brandon Zirk Thatcher is kept out by the adductor injury he suffered late on Saturday. Yes, Kane Baldwin could come in as a replacement if needed, but this could be a game where Charlie Dixon and Jeremy Finlayson and Todd Marshall just at least two of the three of them could go off again. That's that's what I'm thinking. And, you know, without Draper, considering how well Scott Lysette's played, that probably doesn't make life any easier. And that's why I think Port Adelaide are going to 
be the first team coming off a bye to beat someone who wasn't also coming off a bye. I like that pick, and I would push the line out further than 10 and a half. I mean, also doesn't hurt that Port are coming into this game pretty darn healthy. The last time they played, Junior Rioli was a laid out with illness. He was replaced by Quentin Narkel. Other than that, I mean, Trent McKenzie didn't play very well. Maybe that's where Tom Jones could finally get back in. It would make sense. You know Jonas is going to get in at some point before finals. It's this is the amazing, by the way, that maybe it would be different if they weren't on a huge winning streak, but that Jonas's omission hasn't caused like any sort of drama or strikes that's knowledgeable to people on the outside. Port have been able to keep things well under wraps behind the scenes, clearly. And I guess just the players there and Jonas himself, they have an understanding of it. Other than that, uh, Xavier Derzva injured his PCL back in round seven, which was like right after we got to know his dad through Twitter. Yeah, I had been talking to Dean earlier that week, and he was at that game too. I imagine that he'll return through the reserves with how crowded the list is. I mean, I feel terrible for Quentin Nargo as well because he was the one who was in for Junior Rioli. It's going to be hard for him to keep his spot despite the two goals he scored on his club debut. This was a team that I think it shows you You know, people have talked about how winning close games is something that isn't really sustainable and gets evened out. You know, Court had such bad luck with it last year. They've done much better with it this year. They've also had much better luck with injuries. Last year, they were so beat up. Are you continuing? If they manage to stay this healthy, I mean, it'll obviously mean good things for them in the longer term as we go toward finals. Still, though, I think you need to find a way to bring in the automatic win. I'm right there with you. I say it every week. Look, once Francis Evans actually loses at the AFL level, we'll shut up about it. Until then, we're going to say it all the damn time. Yeah, just undersink it, you know? Here's a guy who's literally never lost. Let's play him, and then we won't lose. The normal three-game slate Sunday, the 1.10 p.m. bounce on the east coast of Australia is Hawthorne and Carlton at the G. So that's uh, 11.10 p.m. Eastern, 8.10 p.m. Pacific Saturday night for us here in the United States on Fox Soccer Plus. These teams are just six points apart from each other and next to each other on the ladder. Does that say more about Carlton than it does about Hawthorne? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's obviously, you know, they're separated by six points, but we knew, maybe the general public didn't, but we knew that Hawthorne weren't going to be that bad. Did Harry McKay finally write the shit against the Suns two weeks ago with the three goals straight he kicked? Note that he will be coming in a little bit tired for this game, having played in Adelaide the day before, and he's probably going to have to play out of his mind in said game in Adelaide, considering what the Crows forwards have. So I guess you're backing in Charlie Curnow to be more prominent this week than Harry? Uh, I guess now that you now that you think about it, yeah. I could definitely see that happening, especially with Hawthorne being thinner defensively, obviously, with James Sicily out. I trust Kerno over Sam Frost or Josh Weddle any day, as much as I like Weddle. One way Hawthorne's defense could improve is if Chankwath Jaff gets back this week. He injured his Achilles back in round nine and could get in there this week if he passes fitness tests. I wouldn't be surprised, especially considering the way Carlton's roster is designed, if the Hawks go with really just one Ruckman, and in turn that means Lloyd Meek gets dropped. With so many other players pushing for selection in other spots, and with Meek having been subbed off this past week, I could definitely see that Josh Ward looks ready to come back after a 38 disposal showing for Box Hill. Looking further upfield, Chad Wingard and Fergus Green could return. Green with three goals this past week. I know you will advocate for Cooper Stevens to make his Hawthorne debut. Yeah, you can kind of just fill that in every week until he plays. Who knows how long that'll have to wait. It shouldn't have had to wait this long anyway. Meanwhile, the Blues will be without Matt Cottrell for this contest on Sunday. He was suspended one game for a dangerous tackle of Ben Long because you can't tackle someone by their head or neck even if they lower said head or neck. So that opens up a spot for Jesse Motlop to return to the forward group. When that tackle happened, and I thought, ooh, this is going to be a really important one with set and precedent. 
as for Motlop, you probably know that I've liked his game. I know he's had some quieter outings, especially lately, but I think the amount of chaos he can create up front is really good. And even though Carlton's forward play was pretty solid the last time they went out, they still have so much to clean up accuracy-wise. Uh, these are two teams that have really struggled with goal-kicking accuracy, which could make this a pretty ugly game. I think Charlie Curnow and Mitch Lewis are going to save that. Noted. Um, you know, having watched a bunch of Hawthorne, their forward struggles are not as, like, outwardly frustrating as Carlton's, but it's also, like, you know, pretty reliable kicks getting set shots in good spots and not being able to do anything with them. Looking at the VFL level for the Blues, George Hewitt was strong in their last contest. He had suffered a concussion round 11 and has yet to get back in the main side. Also, I mean, we're waiting on Jackson Bins to debut. Maybe they decide to go for Bins instead of Motlop? Or maybe they'll just make him the sub instead of Patty Dow. I'm trying to think about this and think about how he'd be able to replace Tottrell. And it's tough because, you know, I've seen him as a pretty active player in either 50. So you kind of have to make a choice there with, all right, what are we bringing in? You know, what, what of... Codfield skills can we recreate here and what are we going to have to kind of forfeit for the week? Carlton are 19 and a half point favorites as we record. How do you see this line, Ethan? I think it's fair. I think this could be another game where the post by team actually wins. Although I wouldn't be shocked if Hawthorne won this game. I wouldn't be shocked, but it would also be really funny. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't expect them to win this game, but I see a way to do it. Ethan, I know you're very excited about this middle game on Sunday. It's the middle game in the middle of the country. We will get to Alice Springs for a game at some point. That it has to happen. I doubt it'll happen on our first footy, Kogrimmage, but we must get to the Red Center for AFL footy. Games at places like Alice Springs are one of the things that I really love about this sport. You know, you take a team that normally plays in the 100,000-seat stadium and drop them out in the middle of nowhere. And also, this is another way for them to connect with their academy base as well, with Melbourne having the Alice Springs zone, which makes it more special that they get this game in particular. Like, I'm waiting for the Ds to get a player from the Alice Springs zone up to AFL level, like we've seen for the Suns getting Val Rosas and Joel Jeffrey to play for them in Darwin. This one is in your typical mid-Sunday time slot. Remember, though, Alice Springs is on Australian Central Time, so while it's 3.20 bounce in Victoria and New South Wales and all the other places along there, it'll be a 2.50 p.m. bounce locally. It's 1.20 a.m. on the East Coast of the United States, though I will not be in the Eastern Time Zone. I'll be in the Central Time Zone, and it'll still be Saturday where it's a 10.20 p.m. Pacific bounce. This will be another Fox Sports 2 game, which I think is awesome. This will be the Greater Western Sydney Giants' first ever game in the Northern Territory, by the way. So, welcome to our club. Welcome to our club. Welcome, Giants. Welcome, Giants. I guess. Melbourne come in at 9-5 and five in fourth after their loss to the Cats last Thursday. The Giants defeated Frio before the bye. They are in 14th at 6-8, and eight, but just a game out of it. They are right there. As I've said about GWS... They've already met, like, all the requirements for this year. Really, as long as they don't do, you know, something really embarrassing, they don't have to really do much of anything on the field at this point to win me over. I would love for Toby Bedford to go off in this game and for the Giants to keep it close because of what he does. Bedford's going to continue to play an important role as that half-forward flag, especially with Brett Daniels still out for another week or two with his hamstring injury. I don't know how much fire there's going to be between Snooze and his former teammates, but something's going to be present, and I feel like he's got to kick a goal. I don't think it's going to be much animosity. You know, he was out in the search of playing time and also ended up fighting a club that, you know, whose style really fits his skill set better. I hope it's a more competitive game between these two sides than what they had last year. It was round five at the G, and Melbourne won by 67. Bailey Fritch kicked four goals straight. And Max Dawn had one of his everywhere games. I remember that game being ugly in front of a weak crowd. This setting 
he's going to be perfect for a game like this. The D's will be without Clayton Oliver once again. He'll be missing his fifth consecutive game. I think they tried to rush him back from his hamstring injury, or maybe he tried to push it himself. And at this point, it has backfired. They're also going to be without Michael Hibbard with a kidney injury. So that's going to require some reconfiguration of their back line. If you're looking for someone who's a similar build, Adam Tomlinson has performed well in the reserves as of late. And I haven't looked on him nearly as poorly in his past couple AFL showings as well. Had his best game in a couple years against Carlton a few rounds ago. Did all right for the Kings birthday game. Would you go for Tomlinson in this one for the like for like? Or would you rather see Jake Bowie return? I'd rather see Bowie. I got more questions about their forward setup because they were a bit exposed last week and they weren't particularly accurate. I'm still waiting for Ben Brown to make his way back in. Now would be a great time, though the strongest case was made by Jake Melcher with the four goals he kicked last time out for Casey. Oh yeah, I just realized you are going to see another former demon playing for the Giants in all likelihood. I imagine Jesse Hogan's back. Well, that would be nice. I've talked before about how he provides so much needed physicality in the middle of the ground. You need a couple of those bottom types at any position. Guys that are super sprawly and wiry. I guess it's speculated that he would come in for Aaron Cabman, who I'm considered just putting down at the VFL level for the rest of the season, unless he really forces the issue. Just give him, you know, more of like a linear development. Now that Jake Riccardi's playing stronger as well, I think that's a more logical thing to do. Yeah, Riccardi saw him do a couple months ago. I was thinking like, oh, this guy's just begging to get dropped each week. And now it's been one of the hotter forwards in the competition. Like, I mean, the hottest forward of all right now would have to be Taylor Walker. And then Eric Campwood and Riccardi, not that yeah, far behind. Riccardi would come up on that list pretty quickly, though which is definitely not a turn of events I ever saw happening. Well, the stint in the reserves clearly woke him up. He spent a month down there, and he's been much better for it. Maybe that could be the case for Catman. Lockheed Whitfield will not be available this week. He had a dangerous tackle on Jordan Clark a couple weeks ago before the bye. I think that's a pretty significant absence, but with guys like Ryan knocking on the door, I think they're able to fill it. Agwood was the sub last week. Yeah, I think him getting elevated would make a lot of sense. Even if he has to play more middle of the ground, unless less is away. Other than that, it looks like Nick Haynes is ready to return from that ankle injury, which would really help route out a defense that last did pretty well for themselves, even without. You could also see Isaac Cumming play his way back in, especially with Whitfield out. He could cover that spot in the defensive 50 again. But if you're looking for more speed, Maybe Jimmy Peetling's the way to go. Not sure about how you really replace Whitfield with how versatile he is. Demons favored by 19 and a half. I probably pushed this one out a little bit more as well. I would too. I'm thinking about last year where they started a bit slowly, but then came home really well in Alice Springs. I hope Kazi goes off again like he did last year. Oh, that would be great. He had a career high six there last year. And a couple of pretty flashy ones too. I mean, it's Kazi. You know he's going to bring the flash. Final game of the round. West Coast hosting St. Kilda at Optus Stadium. 2.40 p.m. locally on Sunday. That's 4.40 p.m. on Australia's East Coast. 2.40 a.m. on the East Coast, United States. And 11.40 p.m. on Saturday on the West Coast, where our resident West Coast Eagles fan will unfortunately have to put himself through this. Resident West Coast Eagles member reporting for duty. I'm ready for this. Honestly, I I can't think it, it'll be as bad as last week, but then again, they can surprise me even more. It was like, okay, they can't be much worse than this, right? Okay, but then they have the buy. Nah, it, it, if there's a chance for it to get really bad, I think I might put somebody on the Brisbane Lions breaking the record and hitting 240 next week. I think the pies are still a chance. Ooh, of course they are. Last year, the Eagles played the Saints tough at Optus Stadium, but was close until St. Kilda managed to score the first three goals of the fourth quarter, and they ended up winning by 28 points back in round 19. And that was one of the least exciting games of round 19. Probably the best round we've seen in our experience watching the AFL thus far. Dan Butler kicked 
five goals straight in that contest. His first and thus far only five goal game of his career. The Saints are probably going to make some lineup changes this week. Lions three after their performance. It straight up said, I learned a lot about individuals. Yeah, that that statement at is not good for those who underperformed, like Ryan Burns, who was subbed out. Yeah, it's funny because I thought he had done a pretty solid job throughout the month. You know, guy jumps off the page, but quietly went along and did his job and obviously didn't do it last week. Marcus Windhager only got, I believe, 12 touches. There was some criticism about Anthony Caminiti only laying one tackle. Caminiti out for memory? Well, that's possible. But the fact that Caminiti, who obviously has made a good impression already, like, do you worry about what taking him out would be his confidence? Jack Billings has played well enough to earn his season debut, and Jack Bytel has been strong at the forward group at Sandringham. So between one of those Jack Bs, I imagine one of them will make their way in. Not sure if Cam and Indy will be the one at risk, or if they're going to take out Windhager and maybe have whichever Jack B it is lined up at more of a half-forward spot. Few different possibilities there. Do you remember a few weeks ago? I had asked, "When is Ellie Yo gonna get hurt again?" Yeah, and perhaps we didn't realize when we were recording the recap that the uh, little thing that happened with his hip was more serious than we thought because Ellie Yo was born with glass bones and paper skin. He's out for a month. As bad as the team is to begin, now you lose it again. This is another reason why I think the Lions will break the record. Do you think the Saints will end up covering that 51 and a half point spread? But I think there will be moments when, with the help of the whole crowd, the Eagles will have some momentum. And, wow, they might score like two goals in a row? Get into the 40s. This would be kind of shocking. Like, I do genuinely think they will have a stretch in this game where they actually play decently well and get people excited about things, which I don't care how you feel about the team. At some point, you gotta have some happiness there. Maybe? I don't know. But Yo's out as is Sam Petrevsky seen who played through the second half despite suffering a quad injury before halftime. Courageous for him to do that. Jack Williams could also miss after needing some scans on his ankle, so I'd love for Harry Barnett to make his debut this week. It would be a challenge for him, obviously, to match up against Rowan Marshall, be that second ruck there supporting Bailey J. Williams. But I want to see him get thrown into the fire and see what he can be from day one. Barnett was the 23rd overall pick from this past November's draft. A South Australian product who was widely considered the top ruck prospect in the class, played with West Adelaide. Hopefully, Nick Natanui has helped him out in some of his development, even if Nick can't be on the field. I think he could be a really good asset in terms of ruck coaching. Oh, I'm sure. Like, you spend 30 minutes, then it'll be more valuable than any coach, any mentor. Listen to what he has to say. Could have a couple other veteran ins for the Eagles. J.D. Cripps broke his ankle back in round three after playing pretty darn well to start the season. His goals were a big reason why they managed to get that one win against Greater Western Sydney, so would love to see him get back in. It's more likely for Cripps to come back in than it is for Bunga to return. Shannon Hearn injured his hamstring in round 12. Maybe he'll come back for the GABA next week. Don't know what the merits of that would be because they're going to get blasted. Unless you have all of Barras, Hearn, and McGovern in there, or maybe if you have all of them in there anyway, it's going to be difficult. Got a main character pick for the week, Ethan? Yeah, kind of an easy one. Cosy Pickett. I mean, we I kind of set it up, honestly, talking about the show that he put on in Alice Springs last year. And he's got some good form, off which he can build. He had that excellent goal. That was one of the nominees for goal of the week this past round. I get that pick a lot. And also, I've been calling on Melbourne's smaller forwards to be more involved, to be more active in leading to the ball. So hopefully he and Kate Chandler can step up in that way. All right. Who's your main character pet? Isaac Rankin. I alluded to it earlier as well. North have trouble defending against small forwards. And I think one of Rankin and Rochelle will go off in this one. And I'm backing in Rankin. All right. 
by now you probably know where to find us. We're on Twitter at AmericanSlave. Personally, I'm on Twitter at Castle Media. I am on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. Ryan Harambe, the footy cat, is probably waiting for me to give him his treat because he's a very good boy. He's on Instagram at cat named Ryan. And yeah, I'm going to edit this recording so that I can tend to my nephew. All right, bye.